Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Bill Walton Show. The United States is a commercial republic and has every interest in good relations with all the nations of the world. And for the past four decades, the United States has given the People's Republic of China a preferred position when it comes to trade and economic engagement. The result? China is now the second largest economy in the world. Yet China has reciprocated recently by speaking openly about unrestricted warfare with America. In a long overdue effort, President Trump is now negotiating new and more balanced trade deals with China. But however effective new trade deals will prove to be, they cannot address the many other dangers posed by China's Communist Party. With me to explore this thorny issue are two founding members of the Committee on the Present Danger, China. Frank Gaffney was Assistant Secretary of Defense under President Reagan, is founder of the Center for Security Policy, and Vice Chairman of the Present Danger Committee, China. Uh, we've got Kevin Freeman, hosts Economic War Room on Blaze TV, and runs a global capital markets advisory firm focused on how Americans can protect their savings and investments. Kevin, Frank, is the situation with China as stark as I just described? Bill, I wish it were only as stark as you've just described. I think, in fact, it's worse in specifically the ways in which China has been assiduously waging that unrestricted warfare against us. And Kevin's one of the country's preeminent experts on the economic piece of it. Mm -hmm. But it, unfortunately, that's only part of it. The Chinese have, for decades, had the ambition of displacing the United States as the preeminent power in the world. Um, I spoke earlier in the day today with a wonderful source, David Goldman, who suggests mm -hmm. they have in mind turning the world into essentially one giant company store, which they would run. But there are components of it that involve the military. Company involve, store, that's, that sounds a bit ominous. Well, it's hugely ominous. I mean, if yeah. you think about it, of course, in the company store is a outfit that you have to buy from and you never get out from under. Uh, the debt burden is crushing. That's the leitmotif of the Belt and Road Initiative, which mm. is strategic as well as economic. It's truly a colonial enterprise. And then there's space. And we could spend the whole show talking about what the Chinese are doing to dominate space because they realize, as we should, that if you do, you can dominate the world below as well. No question about it. The Chinese have started this more than two decades ago. Mm -hmm. This is, every policy of China is driven and built around this concept. Intellectual property theft, uh, offering of their markets to outsiders just to get the technology, uh, hacking, all of the things that we've seen the Chinese do, they've been doing for a couple of decades with this intention. Uh, President Xi uh, promoted the China dream. Well, the China dream is China as the dominant single sovereign state over the rest of the world. And, and that's what they've been pushing for. Well, <clears throat> doesn't China see itself as uh, the middle kingdom? And they see themselves as being world imminent forever. And they went through something they call 
the century of humiliation right. when the Brits and Americans... A American, bad patch in the great scheme patch, of things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they take that very seriously. There are books written about it. Xi reminds the Chinese people about it. And when we talk about China's uh, resurgence, they, they see themselves not as something new, but as something quite old, that's just reclaiming its yeah. uh, rightful place in the world. Exactly. Uh, under a communist regime. That's the one change from the previous. Well, one of the things I get curious about, because you guys are you know, you guys are expert, but billion three, billion four people in China. Chinese Communist Party is what, 90 million people? The Politburo is what, nine people? Something like that? And then you have yeah. Xi, who's just declared himself president uh, for, life. for life, which right. is, reminds us a lot of the emperor. Um, how, how monolithic is this? I mean, how, how much, how pervasive is what Xi does and the Politburo and the Chinese Communist Party does in terms of driving the things that you are uh, describing? Well, I think that what they have done for decades since they came to power is operate a totalitarian system yeah. that is brutally repressive. And it's ebbed and flowed in terms of the horrors that it's inflicted upon its people. Some estimates are that Mao Zedong killed 100 million of them to exercise absolute control and begin building his China dream, if you will. And by the way, Xi Jinping is a Maoist. He envisions going back to the glory days of Mao Zedong. Mm -hmm. But what's particularly alarming, Bill, is what the Chinese have been doing to introduce instruments that will enable the totalitarian control of yesteryear seem like, you know, child's play. This is beyond Orwell, the so-called social credit score system that the Chinese have developed mm -hmm. using techniques like surveillance, cameras, all over the country, monitoring everybody's movement, tied into facial and actual gate recognition mm -hmm. software, and data mining, and quantum computing, and artificial intelligence are creating a big brother-like system on steroids that I think means that tiny number of people, whether it's the 90 million or the nine or the one, mm -hmm. actually have the capacity to dominate the vast unwashed millions of Chinese. And by the way, to the extent they're able to export this technology, well, facilitate that company's store operation worldwide. Well, well, they have to do that, though, because they have unleashed some mechanisms in their country. They've added some minimal free market uh, freedoms and, and technology and so forth that requires them to take that totalitarian uh, position if they're going to dominate, because there are three powers inside China. There's the Communist Party, mm -hmm. uh, there is the PLA, the military, and there is the business community. And they actually created hope in the business community um, among people. They moved them into cities and so forth. They created a large amount of economic hope. And now the Communist Party is very fearful that their heads will be removed. That's their number one fear. And they're almost panicked in this. They thought they had President Clinton coming to power, and they thought that things would go very smoothly. President Donald Trump has changed that, and it's created this normal, we look 100 years out, and all of a sudden they're worried about next week and next year. 
they're looking at Hong Kong and seeing that as a problem that they hadn't expected. Well, Trump's a big change agent in, on many fronts. If we had President Hillary Clinton, where would we be with China right now? They'd be winning, absolutely. There'd be no recognition of these issues. Look, think how her husband conducted himself with respect to the Chinese, and you'd have yeah. some sense of it. He sold out the country, including selling strategic technologies that are now being used to threaten us, MIRVED missiles, we, we, we for need, example. We, I need details. What, what did he do to sell? <laughs> well, for one thing, he took campaign contributions. Okay. Charlie Tree, Little Rock, uh, they right. literally, I mean, Johnny Senate Chung. came in and said, these are illegal campaign contributions written up in the New York Times. This isn't conspiracy theory. This is actual government, communist government, influencing the 1996 election in favor of Bill Clinton. Mm -hmm. But in exchange for those campaign contributions, Loral and other defense contractors were given the green light to transfer strategic ballistic missile relevant technologies, including the capability to improve their ballistic missiles, hmm. accuracy and lethality, by among other things, having multiple independently targetable reentry vehicles, MIRVED weapons as they're called, that are now literally, Bill, being pointed at American cities and other targets. No question and about that's, it. well, treason, I would argue. Well, the, I think you, you mentioned social credits and you mentioned the cameras. One of the things I've heard about China is they say it's a hard to govern country. It's all, you know, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of square miles it is, but they say the mountains are high and the emperor is far away. But with the cameras and the social credit system, particularly the cameras, what do they have, 25 million so facial recognition cameras? Whatever it counting? is, it will be more shortly. And interestingly yeah. enough, particularly relevant to, you know, your audience is we're paying them to build those cameras through investments that Americans are unwittingly making in companies like uh, Hick, that uh, is Hick Vision that is producing these right cameras vision, yeah. for for among others, by the way, U.S. facilities as well as Chinese. Think about that. Uh, you're watching the Bill Walton Show, and we're discussing uh, how America is essentially paying for Chinese. Uh, Strategic Ambitions with Frank Gaffney and Kevin Freeman. It's, it's unfortunately the case that, and Kevin, again, is much more expert than this than I, but when you look at what China has done in terms of penetrating our country, and that's a whole nother facet of the threat that we're talking about, Bill, perhaps the most single insidious one is that they've figured out how they can get us through our pension funds and other institutional investments to underwrite the kinds of threatening behavior or activities or you know simple products that are making them more and more of a danger to us and the rest of the world. Well, you know, we talked about well. this before the show. I mean, there's been an enormous paradigm shift with regard to China, whereas I think for decades we thought, gee, we will bring them into the World Trade Organization, we'll help them with their will be a market for them. We'll go in and invest. They'll liberalize. They'll democratize. And we that used was to the... talk about Chimerica, mm -hmm. right? where we were going to be so integrated, the two economies. And of course, then China would then evolve into a liberal Western democracy. Sure. And instead, the it's gone just the, it's gone just the other way. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, 
but but let's let's back up just a bit though. You've mentioned about how they're infiltrating America. What's that? What does the that capital mean? markets? Well, f first off, the, the first offer was invest in China and we will give you access to a billion customers. And right. when you do that, you bring your plan here and, oh, by the way, you have to turn over your intellectual property while you're doing it. So they've captured a lot of intellectual property. They've also hacked theft, direct theft, and otherwise. They've stolen intellectual property. But the big offer was build your plan here and, and we will give you access to our, our capital markets. Then the second offer was to investors. The great investment frontier, the great emerging market. And I went into China with Mark Mobius, the great emerging market investor when he was with Templeton. Mm -hmm. I went with him on a trip to Hong Kong and into China. And the offer was, we're going to have the growth. So invest in our companies. And they would take us and, and we'd view the companies. Well, what they're doing now, apparently, and our colleague Dan David has shared this, they are asking for investment on the New York Stock Exchange or over-the-counter markets, and you invest in an IPO or you invest in a company, and there may not be the factory that they claim. Mm -hmm. You go to visit the factory, and they've got the sign-up for the company you're investing in, and then two weeks later, they take that sign down and put up another Some, name. Somebody called them Potemkin Villages. Yes. Where you go in, you look at the factory, you know, it's there, and then... Uh, exactly right. Exactly. It's, it's but they captured maybe a trillion dollars of American capital to fund this vision? A trillion? A trillion. Talk about the Alibaba IPO. <laughs> yeah, that's Alibaba is the largest IPO in history. $25 billion was raised. Yeah. What we bought- In New York. In New York. On the, the Hong Kong Stock Exchange turned it down. Mm -hmm. We bought what I call a pig in a poke because when you bought shares of Alibaba, and it's still trading today, it was up this morning when I looked at it, when you buy shares of Alibaba, you get shares in a Cayman Islands corporation, and it's known in China as a variable interest entity. You don't have shares in Alibaba. They don't allow foreigners to actually own shares of their stock. So you own shares of variable interest entity that may or may not be able to get cash flows from Alibaba Corporation. We're not even sure that a variable interest entity is legal in China. In fact, in the past, there have been times where they said it's not legal, and they've just shut it down. Well, we gave them $25 billion for that. Well, that's the other aspect of our relationships with China. They, Because of the Middle Kingdom, uh, they don't see themselves subject to any international law, the rule of law. You know, South China, they see that sort of thing. But mm -hmm. regular commercial trade agreements, they don't, they don't see as particularly valid. They negotiate today and... Well, they say we changed our mind tomorrow. Yeah, they bought a an American company. A friend of mine was on the board of directors, and so he became a board member of the Chinese company. Yeah. And he said, I'd go in there, and there were always two individuals that spoke not one word in the entire meeting. They didn't speak English, and they didn't speak a word to anyone in the meeting that sat in every board meeting. And he finally said, who is that? He said, well, there's the guys from the Communist Party sitting in to make sure we're doing things right. The minders. Mm -hmm. At yeah. any point, they could they could change the direction of the company and you wouldn't have any say in it. Let me give you another example, Bill, of what's afoot here. Our, another of our colleagues, Roger Robinson, has done some terrific work on the degree to which this investment sort of program that uh, Kevin's talking about has now morphed into, uh, as I mentioned, American pension funds yeah. and other institutional investors going into the MSCI and having as a result exposure for people who have no idea that their pension funds may be tied up in China, but 
or let alone that their money is being used for things like um, high vision, however they pronounce it, uh, the um, building of aircraft carriers, the building of submarines, the building of fortified islands in the South China Sea, none of which is in our interest, obviously. Mm -hmm. And yet, as Roger warns, the danger is that those individuals will find themselves so tied to China in terms of their own financial security, that they will become effectively a vastly larger mm -hmm. lobby, China lobby for China than anything we've seen to date. And, you know, again, this is another of the kinds of penetration we have seen, but it's it's going to be on steroids. The this MSCI process is increasing their weighting. Well, MSCI the is what? Morgan Stanley Capital yeah. International. That's the international benchmark. When I was at Templeton, that's what we had to beat as a, as a money manager, is the MSCI Global, the MSCI... I international, they're increasing their rating fourfold of Chinese shares. That means that if you happen to be a pension and you happen to own an international index, you're going to increase your ownership of Chinese shares. Just automatically, automatically fourfold. And but I think Roger said there's what like 700 companies in the over-the-counter market mm -hmm. with about a billion trillion three in market yeah. cap, and growing, and growing is the point. And and here's the other kicker. And, and again, Kevin and you both understand this better as financial guys. What is particularly what I outrageous, understand this is extremely troubling. <laughs> well, what what is particularly outrageous though is that the kinds of you know declarations or other explanations of material risk that an American company disclosed. would have to engage in under our Securities and Exchange Commission rules and regulations doesn't apply to these Chinese companies. They're getting away with exposing, as I say, millions of Americans to risky transactions without disclosing it. Is, you know, Trump is on the trade front renegotiating. Who, who in the Treasury Department is taking a look at this or who in the SEC is taking a look at this? Well, again, I defer to Roger, but my understanding is nobody. No one. You know, the, hey, Treasury, you know, the Treasury Secretary, Steve Mnuchin, is one of the biggest champions yeah. of doing more of this kind of business coming out of Goldman Sachs. When yeah, Goldman, Goldman was a major, major player in opening up China. Big time. Yeah. Well, you look at the pension fund. Hank Cal Paulson. Exactly. Mm -hmm. You look at the California pension fund, for, for example, they're very socially responsible. They'll mm -hmm. send a letter to a company, you don't have enough uh, minority representation on your board and so forth. They don't look at all at a Chinese company. They don't say, well, you may be uh, oppressing and putting uh, millions of people in concentration camps like the Uyghur population, the Muslim population of China. They don't look at those things, and yet Americans are funding that, and it's the worst kind of human rights violations. Yeah. It goes even further. What if we're funding this organ transplant tourism where they're literally stripping organs from dissidents and selling them to to tourists who need a new heart or a new, new lungs or a new kidney or whatever. It's a $20 mm -hmm. billion dollar a year business. And the funny part is China admits they've done that in the past, but they say, oh, we're not doing that anymore. But the evidence is pretty strong that they are doing that. They're and there's even, there's even evidence that there are American technologies that are being used through Chinese subsidiaries to keep the victims of an organ harvesting process alive to get enough. those organs out of them in the prime condition. Think about that. Worse than, worse, worse than Nazi. It's, it really is the worst human atrocity ever is that you literally are keeping people alive to take their kidney and sell it to someone. 
And this is this is a major, you know, profit center now for communist China because they've got lots of people they consider disposable, whether they're Uyghurs, perhaps certainly Falun Gong, Christians, dissidents. And These, they're desperate for dollars. And they're desperate for They're dollars. desperate. They're running out of hard currency. And well, they, yeah, uh, since Trump, I think their dollar currencies have plummeted, haven't absolutely. they? Absolutely. Uh, you're watching The Bill Walton Show, and I'm talking with Frank Gaffney and, and Kevin Freeman, and we're talking about China, Chinese commercial and military and cultural ambitions worldwide. Uh, it's a big topic and one we need to really dig into more. Uh, and I'd like to talk about lines of action, though, because you're raising issues. You all are co-founders or with a lot of other smart people of the uh, Committee on the Present Danger China. What's that organized to do? Well, it has a history. Um, this is the fourth incarnation of a group by that name. The first two dealt with another totalitarian ideology, yeah. communist as well, though it was doing business under the Soviet Union at the time. And particularly in the 1970s, Bill, it had an incalculably important role because one of its members, Ronald Reagan, mm -hmm. sought from the Committee on the Present Danger, ideas about how not simply to have transactions and detente with the Soviet Union, but actually roll it back. He hired 31 of its members when he became president to actually execute the strategy that he mm -hmm. used to take it down. Yeah. Um, in the uh, 2000 period, shortly after 9-11, there was another one looking at the totalitarian ideology of of Sharia, of Islam, and terrorism that flows from it. But this time, we believed another effort akin to the one in the 70s is needed to address strategically the various threats we've been talking about here, and, and more besides, but to actually provide President Trump, his administration, and the American people with strategic alternatives to the practice of what's been called engagement. They don't use the term detente because it's kind of discredited, mm -hmm. but engagement with the Chinese. And by the way, there was recently a letter that was issued by a hundred or so of the people who have been promoting this engagement policy for some time. A number of us under the leadership of uh, Captain Jim Fennell, another of our terrific uh, founding members of the Committee on the Present Danger China, put together an alternative letter and the Chinese Communist Party has gone absolutely nuts about this letter. And the I mean, gist of their letter and your letter, what was the gist the, of their letter was reject the Trump approach to China, get okay. back into engagement. The gist of ours is, Mr. President, stay the course. You're doing exactly what's needed in light of the evident failure mm -hmm. of the engagement strategy that's being recommended by the people who've practiced this to this point. But what we also have seen, Bill, is I think evidence that the Chinese can't stand to be exposed, can't stand the kind of criticism well, and truth-telling that the Committee on the Present Danger is all about. Well, By the way, if I may just plug the website, presentdangerchina.org provides now dozens of short, very pertinent, powerful videos of in individuals on the committee and others presenting information. Presentdanger.org. Present Danger China. China.org. Uh, the it, it really begs the question, though, are there other things we could be doing? In addition, I think China... Kevin, you have a, an investment advisory firm where you're working with investors to steer them towards, uh, I, I 
not quite sure what the term I'd use is America first investing. Pro America, yeah. Pro America. Patriotic investing might be well, the how, right how, term. What, what's, what is that? Yeah, it, it, and this isn't actually through my investment advisory business. It's actually, we've trained a group of financial advisors, and we did the test market with uh, Frank, both with Hillsdale College at the Kirby Center in Washington and at Oklahoma Wesleyan University. And we found that advisors, not Wall Street, but the actual client-facing advisors, they want to do something unique with their clients. They want Their clients are interested in being pro-America first. These are a lot of cases, the Trump voters. They really, truly believe in America, and they want to put their money. They want to weaponize their money to help protect our nation. And so we train them about these national security issues, whether it's China or there's Russian threats, there's uh, the red-green axis, there's the socialist movement, and they learn about these, and then they help their clients invest in such a way to avoid the Alibaba, but also to invest in American companies. And we heard the other night at dinner, there are some really good patriotic American companies that are helping us in this China fight. Well, yeah, that's the, th uh, we were at a dinner that we learned that uh, U.S. multinationals, which had been painted with a black brush because of some of their trading with China and giving away intellectual technology, since Trump, that's really been turned around. And in, they're now in, working in with some the cases. administration. In, in some, some cases. In many cases, yeah. Yeah. So what's the investable universe? If we've got 5,000 public companies in the United States and the markets, what percentage of those would be America? Well, first you have to screen out the, the Chinese companies that have been thrown in there that are so funding their agenda. So we've already identified 700. Yeah, so, those, so you're going to throw those out. Those are not on the and, list. And, and there, there are easily uh, yeah. a couple of thousand companies that are pro-America. That The main thing to do, though, is to avoid those that are purposely working against the interests of the United States of America. And, and that could be whether uh, a few years ago, uh, Standard Charter, there were some um, emails released, Standard Charter being a UK bank, and they were working against us. And they actually got brought up by uh, the district attorney of New York for, for essentially laundering Iranian money. They were, they were hiding the fact there's Iranian money against sanctions, and they paid billion dollars in fines and so forth. And the emails that came out in testimony said, those effing Americans, who are they to tell us what to do? Well, they were supporting the Iranian regime building nuclear weapons. Mm. So we've got to screen out those companies, even if they're allies. Well, the advantage that the Chinese have is what somebody calls coherence, and that they coordinate military, economic, social, all these other issues into a grand strategy. America tends to lack coherence. We think about securities markets. We think about nuclear weapons. We think about Right. You know, trade, it's a total, you know, we're balkanized in well, terms of policy. And what I'm hearing is that's beginning to uh, change. I, let me just make one point on, on Kevin's comment. When you look at what we're dealing with in terms of corporations, yeah, I think one of the things that's changed, Bill, is quite a number of them have been screwed by the Chinese. You no know, they, they bought this idea that they'll get in and get access to that Well, market. Amazon's even pulled out of China. Well, Increasingly, they're yeah. at least skeptical, and they're now thinking about coming back, or they are coming back. Well, so that that's, maybe Google, that's, which left and then is going in it, it's, dramatic. It's a mixed bag. I just wanted to say that I think part of why you're absolutely right to be focusing on this problem as you are is that a lot of people are taking a fresh look at China, and they need to be. But in terms of what we are about, I think we have to be clear it's not just that we want people to stop doing things to prop up the Chinese. We want 
the American investors. And one of the things that I really want to commend Kevin for is training financial advisors mm -hmm. into how to help the patriotic companies and the patriotic investing that will enable us to compete. And to your question, Bill, we don't, as a general rule, take the sort of industrial policy you know, approach to government telling private sector entities what to do. But again, my friend David Goldman was talking just this morning with me about this. To the extent we can look back at things like the Manhattan Project or John F. Kennedy's travels, uh, you know, getting us to the moon, yeah. or the president that I had the privilege of serving, Ronald Reagan's Strategic Defense Initiative. These were catalysts for immense investments and business adjustments throughout America mm -hmm. that served the country well. And we need, at a minimum, to have that kind of catalyst. Again, our, our research and development relative Whoa. to China's is pathetically small. And it's costing us. Well, I think a lot of us are coming around to this idea, of, uh, those of us in the free market world, which I would, I would consider myself, we're getting, we're become, coming around to the nuance of the difference between industrial policy and how it interrelates with national security. And we don't like industrial policy, but we love national security. Uh, that's all the time we have in our in our regular segment. We've covered about 10% of what I want to cover. We will have an overtime right after this. Uh, Kevin Freeman, Frank Gaffney, thanks for your insights. As I said, we'll be continuing in the overtime. And thank you for joining us. And uh, we'll see you next time on The Bill Walton Show. Thanks for listening. Want more? Be sure to subscribe at thebillwaltonshow.com or on iTunes. Amazon is hiring near you. Earn a competitive wage and start as soon as seven days. No resume or experience required. Health and safety are a top priority with all of our roles and sites. Amazon is taking precautions in our buildings to keep people healthy. Go to amazon.com slash apply. That's amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer.